Welcome to this APTA podcast. Welcome to PTJ Author Interviews. PTJ Editor-in-Chief Alan Jetty talks with authors about the most interesting and sometimes surprising aspects of their work. And now, Dr. Jetty. I want to welcome listeners to this latest PTJ podcast. This is Alan Jetty, Editor-in-Chief of PTJ. And today I'm very pleased to have as my guest, Dr. Preston Roundy. He's with the Department of Physical Therapy and Occupational Therapy at the Duke University Health System in Durham, North Carolina. Welcome, Preston. Thank you, Alan. It's great to be here. I look forward to our discussion. The the topic of your article that's recently been published in PTJ is relationships between burnout and resilience, experiences of physical therapists and occupational therapists during the COVID-19 pandemic. Your work is obviously very timely. I thought I'd give a brief summary to our listeners, and then we can talk about it. That sounds great. The purpose of the study was to investigate experiences of burnout, COVID-19 pandemic-related distress, and resilience among 125 PTs and OTs who were working in a university-affiliated health system during the first year of the COVID-19 pandemic. Not surprisingly, the study found that symptoms of burnout were reported by many PTs and OTs in the department. Greater COVID-19 pandemic-related distress was associated with greater emotional exhaustion and depersonalization, whereas resilience at work was associated with lower emotional exhaustion, greater personal accomplishment, and lower depersonalization. So there are a lot of things we can talk about. Let's start by having you talk a bit about how you define burnout. Uh, In the article, you say that it's a syndrome characterized by three elements, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and feelings of ineffectiveness at work. What do we know, Preston, given existing uh, literature that's out there about the prevalence of burnout among rehab professionals? It's a great question and a, a difficult one to answer. I, there, there was a systematic review that, that recently came out a couple of years ago that looked at all of the burnout literature associated with physical therapists, and there's less less that we found relating to occupational therapists. Um, and when you look at, at these studies, they don't always use the same measures. And so that can make it challenging to identify a specific prevalence. When you compare that to the nursing or physician literature with those spaces, they do often have a very consistent measure that they use, that being the the MBI, the Maslach Burnout Inventory. Uh, And they also make a point to uh, report prevalence numbers. So we kind of found a variety of, of things out there. I think one of the key things we found is that emotional exhaustion, which uh, is kind of defined as that state of physical, emotional, and mental exhaustion that that can result from prolonged exposure to stress, which you know patient care, long work hours, or also difficult interpersonal relationships, whether at work or at home. That emotional exhaustion really seems to be a key driver of burnout and one that is often reported. And so, you know, one of the things that we referenced in our paper was in uh, a study from 20, 2002 
that looked at PTs and OTs and found that at least 58% of them were reporting high levels of emotional exhaustion. And that was across healthcare settings, caseload expectations, and patient populations. And so I think it showed that it wasn't dependent on one setting or one, one area. And uh, we, we kind of looked at that too. We're, we're a big healthcare facility and wanted to look at inpatient versus outpatient and uh, some of the nuances there to try and find what, what our prevalence might be. But it was challenging to narrow that down. You know, I think another study we looked at from 1997, where they tried to look at orthopedic physical therapists, but they're from the orthopedic section. So they weren't all necessarily outpatient private practice or outpatient orthopedics. Even in that one, they you know had some therapists working in inpatient or skilled nursing facilities. And, and within that one, it, it did highlight that there were low to moderate levels of, of burnout in that setting. So I guess to answer your question, we don't have a great idea of what the prevalence is across the United States or that setting, but something I think more work needs to be done there. You know, I, I was, um, I, I've looked at that literature as well, and I found exactly what you have just described. And it's rather shocking how little we know about how big the problem is within our profession. The, the literature in nursing and medicine seems to be much better. Well, why do you think we don't have better studies of basic information, like what's the prevalence of this condition? It seems like a really important issue in our profession. Why do you think? I think one of the reasons I, I think that we're seeing more research coming out is that people are interested in it. I think for a long time, I've been a physical therapist, not too long, about seven years. And when I was first drawn to the profession, it was because there was so much that, you, you know, if you just did a Google search on, on uh, physical therapist job satisfaction, and a lot of the things I was seeing were very positive. You know, people wanted to work in physical therapy. At least that's what I was finding just in my Google searches. But I do think as I've gotten into it, and just in the last couple of years, there's been changes in productivity requirements, uh, student loan debt, and also the growth of, of the physical therapy practice and occupational therapists, where they're really being asked to do more and uh, step, step it up a, a little bit, I'd say. And so I think we'll see more and more research that'll answer those questions, but we might just be not quite there yet. I'm not, I'm not exactly sure why it hasn't. It, it could be basic information, like you said, to answer that. But um, yeah, we haven't, haven't quite seen that yet. Yeah. One of the things that struck me about your article that I really liked was that you incorporated some attention on this concept of resilience, which I think yeah. is really key. It's really important. And you defined it as the capacity to manage stress to adapt to adverse situations and rebound and learn from unexpected setbacks while maintaining a healthy um, status. Yeah. Uh, and, and you talk about this concept of resilience as being both a state as well as a trait, which I was really interested in because I remember reading about that back in, uh, in my uh, psychology uh, coursework. Okay. Can you talk uh, a little bit about the difference between state and trait? Because it does come up later when we talk about your findings. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we thought that was 
really important to differentiate as well. Um, I think colloquially, you hear people say that someone is or is not resilient. Um, and even looking at some of the different scales that measure resilience, you know, the two we used were the brief resilience scale and then the resilience at work scale. And the brief resilience scale is more of that trait like, and it'll ask questions like, you know, I tend to bounce back quickly after hard times, or it does not take me long to recover from a stressful event. And so I think it looks at it as more, you either have it or you don't. Um, but some of the different studies we looked into found that just like most things, it's a lot more complicated to it. There might be, and there probably is some ge genetic component, but there's a lot of other variables that are modifiable. And uh, we, I found that to be exciting and, and hopeful, but also, uh, you know, important to recognize to not put it all on the individual, that there are environmental factors, organizational factors that are modifiable, but maybe the individual therapist doesn't have power over those as much. And then also at the individual level, there's many modifiable state-like things that, that they can change. So we found you know, that to be really interesting and that using the resilience at work scale, as we dug into some of our findings, it was cool to kind of see what, what happened with that. You know, it, it was, it struck me as interesting too. And, and I would agree with you, hopeful. Yeah. Because to the degree that resilience is, is a state, then we can do something about it. Yeah. Whereas if it seemed predominantly a trait, then we're kind of stuck with whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. Let's yeah. And there were, there were, you know, some interesting uh, papers we looked at that gave a, a lot of different uh, definitions of, of resilience. One, one I thought was, was interesting. It said that uh, resilience is a process to harness resources in order to sustain well-being. And I thought you could kind of picture all the things that are in place to help someone harness uh, those resources or not. But there's certainly things we can do, but also things at the, um, you know, maybe at the supervisor level that that can improve as well. Yeah, both at the organizational level, but also at the professional level, too. Right. Absolutely. Well, let's let's talk a bit about burnout. Um, before we talk about your findings on burnout, you selected the Maslash burnout inventory for your study. And it involves three components that I summarized in the beginning, emotional exhaustion, depersonalization, and personal accomplishment. Why did you go with the MBI inventory? Yeah, that's a, a good question. We, we went with the MBI uh, because in this space, it's really considered the leading measure or tool. It's been validated in burnout research and used for over 35 years. It's also the main one that's used in some of the other medical research, physician and nursing research. And what is interesting with it is the people who created it, they didn't necessarily intend for it to be a diagnostic tool or a dichotomous variable to say you're either burned out or not. It really can be used to dive down into what's happening at the, the individual level to see what areas might need to be improved upon. Um, and so it can give insight into where you might be lacking or 
help you develop, you know, projects to address those those issues. So, you know, just it being that kind of gold standard and what's used by everyone else, and that's kind of why we went with it. On average, how long does it take to complete it? That's a good question. Uh, it's pretty short. It's not too long. I want to say, you know, if we have, um, it's in the 20-ish question. So I would say it takes less than five minutes to complete, but I have not myself time. I haven't timed myself. So okay. I have to look into that. that. That's what I look, that's what I would guess from what I yeah. saw the number of it's items. Pretty short. Okay, let's talk a bit about your findings. In, in the sample, 32.8% had elevated emotional exhaustion. And that was your highest prevalence in terms of the three. 13.6% reported low personal accomplishment and just over 15% reported high depersonalization. And only five therapists reported high levels as you defined it, how as you operationalized it in all three subscales. Um, I I'm not familiar with this tool, so I was surprised by how different the prevalence rates were across the three domains. Were you, or, or was this what you expected? You know, we, we were surprised as well. Uh, in some ways, we were surprised, and in other ways, not as much. I think one thing that we talked about in our the limitations area of our study is that we were designing this prior to the pandemic. And then, you know, like with many projects, the pandemic hit and we wanted to see how we could still do it in the context of the pandemic. And so when we delivered this survey and uh, we're asking therapists, it was really right at the beginning of the pandemic, right around uh, May, June of, of 2020. And so I think some things unique at our institution is that might point to why some of it was lower levels of, of emotional exhaustion or personal accomplishment was in that better range. So that the institution where we're at really did a good job at it. It didn't furlough any employees. No one went without a paycheck. They were flexible around health or childcare needs and, and things like that. And when I've talked to colleagues outside during that time, it was much more stressful. You know, they were uh, only able to get part-time work amongst all the other challenges of the pandemic. So I think that might have pointed to why some of those levels were lower. The other thing, we can't say that we captured all who, who might be in those burned out areas because it was a voluntary survey. We didn't incentivize anyone to take the survey. And that's one thing we always wanna keep in mind is that potentially those who are most burned out, if we can use that or emotionally exhausted, might not be the ones who sign up to take a, a survey that that takes a lot of time. You know, on the other hand, maybe they are the ones who really want to be be listened to and, and get their voice heard. But that those are some things that that come to mind. It, it's a known unknown. Yeah. Well, yes. what, what percentage of the staff did complete it? The 125 represents about what percentage? Um, I cannot tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to look into that. Okay. Okay. Because that would help you see whether or not that could be a major factor. But it yeah. is striking the levels of all three were fairly low compared to what might one might expect. Right. And we now, did, yeah, we did find, you know, that we had good representation from all of our groups, which was nice, inpatient, outpatient, and some of the other um, 
clinics. And so we felt good with the sample that we, we gathered, but it's hard to say if it's truly sure. representative. How strongly was the level of COVID-19 related distress with level of burnout? Yeah, that was that was interesting. So we used the impact of events scale. And with that, uh, it, it, it gives you certain numbers that are cutoffs that would indicate elevated symptoms of distress. Or like if you have greater than 33, equal to greater than 33, it's it, these are, are are compared to things, symptoms of like PTSD. And so we the main thing I think we found with this that made sense to me was if you were scoring higher in the impact of events scale, those were strongly correlated with all the burnout subscales. And we also found with those that they were correlated with sleep disturbance, uh, worry about finances, and lower resilience at work. Um, within our study, about 31, so about a third of people were reporting at least some um, symptoms of distress. So that would be a score of 24 or higher. And 16.8% reported scores of 33 or higher. And so it does highlight there were still, you know, a significant number of people feeling, you know, emotionally distressed during that time, which makes sense. Sure. Did, did you find a strong protective effect of level of resilience with the three domains of burnout? We did. Yeah, we found um, we found a significant correlation with several areas. So with resilience specifically, there are several different subscales and they, I like I like a lot of the um, titles of them. So one is finding one's calling. Uh, one is maintaining perspective and another is managing stress. Those were the three subscales that we found components of resilience that were the most, uh, you could say, protective against burnout. I, I highlight they are they were all statistically significant. Finding one calling had had the strongest correlation. It was a moderate correlation. The others were weak correlations, but they were significant. And I, I think that's important because resilience is so complex. You know, when I kind of work in the chronic pain world and it's difficult to all put it on one variable. But I think even showing that, you know, finding one's calling had moderate um, strength correlations that if you can identify one one variable to to spend some time on, that that might be an area of interest. So let's talk about uh, where, where you go from here. Um, what, in your opinion, given that you've been working in this area now, what should we be doing and what should organizations be doing to try to address burnout better among rehab professionals? Yeah, I think from the organization level, uh, allowing as much autonomy as possible, I think is really important. And we didn't touch on that specifically in our uh, paper, but in a lot of the research that we looked at from an organizational level, autonomy seemed to be a consistent, um, a consistent theme that comes up. I think you could help in assisting and uh, finding, helping people find their sense of purpose at work, making sure they feel safe, that they have a sense of belonging, uh, that, that you create a good environment. These were all questions that comprise that um, finding one's calling subscale. You know, do they feel like 
they fit in at work and that it aligns with their beliefs? Um, or do they feel, you know, like a, a square peg in a, in a round hole sort of thing? And so I think the more you can do to understand your beliefs and uh, the beliefs and kind of interests of your, your employees and be able to align with that, the more comfortable they'll feel at work and, and feel like they're fulfilling their, their purpose or their calling. I think from the individual level, that highlighting that it is a changeable state that can be fostered and, and developed. And, you know, I think there's an increasing number of hours dedicated to Netflix and uh, social media. And to my uh, knowledge, those haven't been shown to really improve resilience, not to say that they're, they're bad, but I think what we found is resilience does take dedicated practice each day. Um, some of the things that have been, again, in the research validated are mindfulness training, journaling, and finding a mentor or coach that, that can, you can meet with regularly. I think for me, I, I look at those questions related to those subscales. So maintaining perspective, managing stress, finding one's calling, and just asking myself, what can I do to, to better develop those? So are you continuing this line of research? You know, I, I, this time we're a little bit on pause with any active research, but we are kind of in that discussion phase where we're throwing ideas around and, and seeing what we can do. I'm interested in redistributing some of the areas of the the original survey we sent, but focusing more on the resilience and burnout scales post-pandemic because, uh, or I don't know if we can say post-pandemic, but at this phase of the pandemic where, you know, Wherever. masking, yeah, yeah, masking. Wherever we are. <laughs> exactly. You know, because just looking at some of the physician burnout where, you know, it was something like, it's grown by 60% since the beginning of the pandemic. And so I do think we'd see much higher levels now. And then taking a look to see if they're, you know, simple things or um, practices we could implement be great. Well, I, I hope you continue this area of investigation and work because I think it's important. Absolutely. Me too. And Dr. Roundy, thank you for both for publishing your work in PTJ and for taking the time to talk about it with us today. No, it's my pleasure. Thank you, Alan. I appreciate the time. You can find more APTA podcasts like this one on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify, or by visiting apta.org slash podcasts. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.